Welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 13. start this podcast off a little differently and I want to start with a uh, some lyrics that maybe you're familiar with. I, I sat down with a guest and today's guest we talked about this topic that just kept coming up and, and it led me back to this song and I uh, just want to quote the lyrics here. It goes like this. What you want, baby, I got it. What you need, do you know I got it? All I'm asking is for a little respect when you get home. Just a little bit. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. Um, I'm sorry, that was, that was kind of dumb, dumb way to start a podcast. I should probably start this over, but, uh, (laughs) no, today I have an awesome guest come on the show and he does a great job telling some great stories. But the one thing that we, we kept coming back to, uh, kind of popped up before and after we hit record was this idea of respect, respect for each other. And also, mainly, a respect for uh, animals and the animals that we go after. So if you stay tuned to the end of the podcast, I'll share a couple more thoughts on that, um, and we'll kind of wrap it all up. But I, I do want to get our, our show started with this interview. Um, this podcast guest, his name is Bobby, and Bobby actually uh, told me his story through Gmail. So if you want to do that, if you'd be interested in just kind of sending me a story, that's how I got in contact with Bobby. Uh, just send an email over to sheddinglightod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Shedding Light Outdoors on Facebook on Instagram. You can also subscribe on YouTube. And um, if you want, I'll give you my personal, um, you know, uh, address and you can send me a letter. I don't, I don't care. Um, But any of those ways, if you'd love to reach out and and send a message, um, that's what I'm looking for. Love just hear stories and and just talk about hunting, fishing, anything related to the outdoors. And so today we're going to jump right in. Uh, We have a guy come on named Bobby Andrews, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about bass fishing, something that we haven't talked about before and something that I know very little about. And and then we're going to jump into how Bobby got into deer hunting and uh, just a crazy couple of hunts that he has had um, where things worked out for him. And um, just a super nice guy. I think you're going to like this one. So without further ado, here's Bobby Andrews. All right, guys and girls, I am here with Mr. Bobby Andrews. Uh, Bobby is from eastern North Carolina. He uh, works in pest control. Uh, started hunting about four years ago and just is ate up with it, loves that and some fishing. So, uh, Bobby, welcome to the show, man. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I, I appreciate you coming on short notice today. I heard that you had a little bit of a pneumonia going on that you're starting to get over, so thanks for coming on even though you didn't feel super great. Thanks. Yeah, uh, our, our new daughter started daycare and she brought home the flu that progressed into pneumonia for me. So, oh man, you know those daycares are like that. My kids, uh, they uh, whenever they went to my first, you know, my oldest daughter whenever she went to school, she came back with a slew of stuff that I caught. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Bobby, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's life like there in in Carolinas? Uh, well, I'm 39. I just recently started hunting a couple of years ago. Um. I didn't really grow up hunting. We did a little bit here and there. Uh, and, and being on the low coastal country here, uh, most of what the hunting is is, is dog hunting, which I, I'm not a fan of. Mm-hmm. I would rather just go out into the woods. And um, if it wasn't only whitetail, I'd probably try to stalk them. But that's not, not really a good idea for whitetail. So. 
Yeah. Um, I live about 20 minutes from the beach and never go. And I live uh, <laughs> about a quarter mile into the woods, which is where, exactly where I want to be. Oh, man, I'm with you. People always talk about your, your dream vacation. Mine is totally mountains and woods. Uh, I, don't, I don't like sand. It just gets everywhere, and it's, it's not, my, not my thing. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at so, all. So cool. So have you always lived in, in uh, you, was it North Carolina? It's North Carolina now. Yeah. Um, I, I was born and, and raised not far from here and then spent about 15 years in South Carolina. So, But I've always been in this area, the southeast. All right. Well, I know that you like fishing. Talk. Let's talk a little bit of fishing here. That's something that we haven't talked. We talked a little bit of ice fishing with uh, Ariel. Um, but other than that, uh, I haven't talked much about it, mainly because I am not a great fisherman. I'm, I'm one of those guys i got to have a bobber out there, and uh, <laughs> and it's usually just i got to get lucky. So tell t- educate me a little bit on, on fishing. How's that all worked out for you? Lucky is is exactly what how I do everything, apparently. Um, <laughs> I grew up fishing the same way, catfishing, um, throwing a line out and waiting, or bobber, you know, again, kind of passive. Um, and uh, probably 18 years ago, I was doing construction work, and some guys that I was working for decided that they wanted to go fishing one day instead of working, and they were going to pay me to do it. And yeah, so who's going to say no to that? Yeah. Um, so I, I threw my line out. We were deadlining for catfish and uh they weren't catching anything so they decided they were ready to leave and i got hung up on what i thought was a log and so i'm trying to reel in and i end up pulling in this 13 pound largemouth bass and as soon as they came around the corner and they saw what i had you know they were all amped to go fishing again now they don't they don't want to leave anymore because you know there are fish in the water um and so i threw the fish back I had no idea it was a big fish. Um, and later on when I told them as much, and they were like, I can't believe you threw it back and we could have put it on ice or done something with it. We could have left for you to get it mounted. I had no idea. So <laughs> I, I decided then that uh, bass fishing was the way to go. Uh, I started researching it, looking into it, just diving headfirst into it. And it's much more active, uh, which appeals to me. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not really into the passive lifestyle i like going and doing um yeah. and uh so bass fishing hooked me and and for 18 years i've been chasing that fish and i haven't caught him again <laughs> so yeah you, you haven't beat your first 13 pounder yet not yet oh not man yet. well it, it'll uh, happen it'll happen i that is i don't know much about fishing once again but i know that that's a giant bass for sure i, I think the north carolina record is 16 pounds Oh my goodness. So that's the one I'm looking for next. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, uh, you know, for guys like myself that don't fish a whole lot and don't know, I mean, I've done some catfishing. I uh, had some buddies take me up on Lake Erie to go uh, perch fishing one time and just here and there in little ponds. Uh, what, what's it take to get into bass fishing? What all's, um, there's probably a lot of guys that know a lot about it, but I'm, I'm kind of dumb when it comes to that stuff. So what's, what's involved with bass fishing? What do you need to know? Basically introductory bass fishing you need a a small rod is good enough uh one that you can cast well um uh, a slightly bigger hook than what you would use if you were just bobber fishing for pan fish mm-hmm. um and to decide whether or not you wanted to use artificial or live bait uh you mm-hmm. could get into bass fishing for less than thirty dollars mm-hmm. uh, not including the fishing license whatever that costs in your area yeah so what what have you found works best for you, live bait or the uh, – I always get like – to me, I always get live bait because I don't know which lure I'm supposed to use or any of that type of thing. 
live bait if they are feeding is almost a guaranteed hit in, in my experience um i've um definitely hit my limit multiple times using live bait out of the water that the bass were living in. Yeah. Um, but usually I'll start with artificials just because I already have them on hand. Um, yeah. uh, a June bug, you tail worm on a two O, uh, offset hook with a Texas rig is usually a, a go-to for me. All right. Uh, I'll have to, I'll have to Google that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just hook it up weedless and, and, and play with them. There you go. Oh, that's great. I, uh, you know, so a couple of years ago, um, we had those 17 year cicadas or whatever that came around. They make like a, a ton of noise and they're like this that's giant, true. giant bug. And so we were out camping and I always get my fishing license usually that weekend. Cause it's about the only time I really, really fish that much. And so we were catching these cicadas and we were hooking a, a line, throwing those out there. And it was amazing how much activity we got. And that's, I think the biggest bass I ever caught was on one of those. And I had, I think I was using one of those little miniature Zepco demons and they're like, you know, two foot long fishing pole for kids, you know, and I'm trying to reel in this. It wasn't a 13 pounder, but it was, to me, it was a giant cause I actually had a fight. I've never had to fight a fish before. So that was, uh, it's exciting. I tell you, fishing is a lot of fun and I, you know, I'm, I'm more of the hunter, but I, I can see how it guys can just get wrapped up in it. Cause you get a big fish on your line and it's, it's addicting. It really is. And and that's one thing that I like about the bass is that they fight and they jump and, and um, it's excitement. It's exciting to see them. And when, you know, the fight's not over until you have your hands on them. And so you, you've got to get them all the way in. Um, so that's, that's a cool part of it for me too. Absolutely. Well, any other fishing, uh, memorable fishing stories that you want to share before we, we slide into the hunting part? Uh, there's hundreds of them, but I don't, <laughs> probably not any that the listeners would be interested in. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into hunting. So talk about, you've, you've only been hunting this, I think you said maybe five years. So how did that all start and uh, how'd you get ate up with hunting? Uh, well, I've always been interested in it, but a situation I was in previously didn't allow for it. And when I moved back to North Carolina, I decided I was going to, to start deer hunting. Um, I grew up, we went once or twice and, and sat at the base of a tree. And if you saw something, it was a good day. Uh, and then I never even had a chance to take a shot on a deer. Uh, so about five years ago, I decided, I'm not sure what made me decide to do it, but I decided I wanted to start hunting. Uh, so I went and got a 16 foot ladder stand and put up on my in-laws property right at the edge of a field. And that entire season I saw one fox and no deer. And the fox cleared about 120 yards so fast, I couldn't even get the rifle up if I'd wanted to. Um, and the, the following year, um, I decided I was just going to go sit at the base of a tree down into the woods. I've got a couple of acres here that I, I'm, allowed, I'm allowed to hunt, less than 10. Um, and I saw a um, just a little spike buck. Um, and I had a old-school single-shot break-action 12-gauge. Uh, with double lock buck in it and I'm sitting there and I look up and he's about 15 feet from me and he's looking at me like what are you and I'm looking at him like where did you come from <laughs> uh, so I've got I'm sitting on the ground I've got the gun next to me on the ground and he's staring at me so I, I can't move and uh, I wait for him to look down to to eat a little bit and when he does I grab the gun and raise it up and he looked back at me for a few minutes and then uh, he kind of turns his head to look at a sound behind him, and I was able to pull the, the hammer back. Um, and when he finally got to where he was moving and I could take a shot, I missed him. 
so my first deer that I ever took a shot at was my second year hunting and I missed completely. Mm. Um, later that season, I went out again and saw another deer with the same shotgun and found out that the shot I had taken on that deer broke the sear mechanism in my shotgun. So I had to repair it. Um, and then fast forward about two more months, it's getting into the, the end of the rut and I have moved my tree stand out into the, the woods where I had seen that, that small buck at and decided that I'm going to shoot a deer today, no matter what. Um, I've done all my research. I have bought um, all of the scent-free material, the laundry soap, the body soap, the hair wash, the whole nine. Um, I got up early that morning and uh, with all my scent-free gear and having taken a shower, decided to go sit in my tree stand where I had put it and decided that today is the day that I'm going to try rattling antlers for the first time. I got a pair of old antlers from a friend of mine. And for everyone listening, I highly recommend if you rattle with real antlers, wear gloves because I stuck one of the antler tines through one side of my finger and out the other. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> Gosh. So I'm sitting in the tree stand. I'm bleeding like crazy and decide to get down. And, and I'm hunting in the, in the woods across the street from my house. So I make my way back to the house, doctor my finger up, go back out into the woods, don't see anything and I've been out here for about five hours now, and I hear my wife come outside and blow the horn on the car that it's time for us to go shopping. So my hunt's over, I think. Um, so I came inside, changed clothes, um, put away the rifle, and at the time I was still smoking. I have, I have since quit. And uh, so I go outside to smoke a cigarette while I'm waiting on her to get ready, and I hear what sounds like my neighbors tearing the woods apart. And it turns out that there are two deer behind my house that are fighting, two huge bucks. Uh, so I watched them for just a second, and I see the end of the fight where one of them kind of tucks his tail down and walks away, and the other one starts snorting off after the doe that they had been chasing. Um, so I ran back in the house, grabbed my fixed shotgun, ran back outside, and we had just had our house built on the piece of land that we're on. Uh, so the ground where they had ran my water line was still soft where they had covered it back up. So I saw where the deer had been going down. He was going down the length of the wood line, but down the length of my driveway also. So I Mm -hmm. sprint down the soft packed dirt where he won't hear me about 150 yards when he comes out of the woods near the end of my driveway and just looks at me with this shocked expression like how did you get here and i leveled the gun down and shot him after sprinting 150 yards um and when he came out i told i told my wife's cousin that he looked like bambi's dad yeah um so my first deer ever uh i managed to to actually land a hit on was a 12 point buck wow Uh, he went about 75 yards and expired Oh, that's uh, awesome. Right behind buddy. the neighbor's property. <laughs> so so you spend this time in the stand and then your wife uh, tells you it's time to go and then you end up just seeing a fight. And I mean, that's I mean, that's awesome. It doesn't always work out like that. And I'll tell you the the little clacking of the ra- antlers that I was doing, what I thought was was quote unquote rattling is nowhere near what it sounds like. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, I used I used to do that too, and then I actually listened to a fight one time and you're like, wait a second, that's not how 
it sounds at all. So yeah, no. it's, it's good to actually watch. I'd recommend guys rattling. Don't watch watch a real fight and listen to the sounds because it's totally different than what you maybe even see on TV sometimes. So absolutely, it sounded like a bulldozer coming through the woods tearing trees down. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard the, the to mimic that thing. sound from the from the from the tree itself. So, you get your hands on your first buck, uh, and this is this the picture that you sent me here of him. It is, yes. All right, I'll post that on Facebook and Instagram for you guys to see. Definitely uh, go to Shedding Light Outdoors and check that out because this is a big buck. This is a, I mean, for a first deer, anybody's deer. I've not shot one that big. So, how do you feel whenever you walk up on this buck? Um, um, I'm I'm not sure. It was, I, I didn't have time to get excited and, and to get buck fever and everything because you know, I, I wasn't sitting in a tree stand watching him come to me. I, I went after him. Um, like I told you, you know, I, I'm an active person. Um, <laughs> so I had my, my wife's cousin hunts the backside of my in-laws, uh, property and he had came down the driveway shortly after I shot it, but before I had gone to track and he wants to get his dog out to test the dog to try to get the dog to to learn how to track deer i was like yeah sure come on so when we walked up to it um i was very very calm and, and appreciative and you know i'm i was brought up you know you, you respect the animal and and even went over and thanked the animal for his sacrifice for my family um, and my, my buddy was like, yeah, 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 you got him. I'm like, calm, calm down, man. Now I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it was a weird, it was a weird emotion of gratitude, um, that I didn't expect. Yeah. I, yeah. I expected to be just over the world excited. You know, I, I think we see stuff once again, I always talk about what's on TV and, and what's on TV is on there for a reason. It's entertainment. And some of the guys do better than others, but you do see a lot of guys just losing their minds. And I, and I think, you know, if that's authentic and that's, that's what they want to do, I think that's awesome. I, I mean, whenever I shot my buck last year, it was my first buck with a compound. I got pumped. I mean, I was excited. The adrenaline was there and you get excited and you do fist pumps and stuff. But at the same time, I, I think there is too, whenever you approach the animal, um, there needs to be a, a level of respect too. you know, I think being respectful of, of God's creation, what he's given us and walking up on it and just taking time. That's, that's awesome. I think that's really cool. Something just to think about. I think whenever we, especially if you video your hunts, you're always tempted to say catchphrases or things like that. You know, I smoked them or whatever. And it's, you know, sometimes you just need to reflect a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel the same way. So you get this first buck down. So take us through uh, the next couple of years here. So what's what's happened since then? Have you been able to do it again? Uh, have you changed any of the ways that you hunt? Do you just go outside and smoke a cigarette now and, and, and wait? Or is it how, – how's it all work? Uh, the, that was um, – that first deer that I got was was at the end of that season. And uh, the following season – I had to continuously remind myself not to attempt to hunt the same deer twice um, because I kept looking in the same area that he had came from. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how to say it. I, I was, I was trying to actively not do, you know, go outside and smoke a cigarette and wait. <laughs> yes, um, uh... I had increased my, my reading and, and research and, and trying to get better at, at what I was actually doing because I know that I just lucked into this deer. Um, I scored him myself and I'm not very good at it, but he scored about 129, 
Uh, I kind of wish I'd have hit him with my bow because then I kind of got Pope and Young. Yeah. Um, but um, so I moved my tree stand a couple of times trying to find a better spot. Um, I've only got about six or eight acres here that I can actively hunt. So I, I'm still trying to learn how to find signs and how to find the deer and what beds look like and scrapes. And it's hard to do on small property. Uh, because sometimes it, the deers are only just cruising through. Right. Um, so the next two years, uh, I didn't. I didn't get a deer at all. Um, I kept changing tactics. Uh, I would go. Uh, I didn't pay enough attention to the wind. Um, I was trying to do scent free and trying to fool the deer's nose. And I don't think at this point, I don't think that's a possibility. I think the wind is more important than anything. Yeah. Now, are you? You're just hunting this eight nine acres that you have there. At this point in time, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so, yeah, those next two years, I, I didn't even see a deer to shoot. Um, this uh, previous year, the 2018 deer season, I have done more research. I have decided I want to start bow hunting. So I, I already had a compound bow, and it's an entry-level uh, bow from Dick Sporting Goods. It's not anything fancy. Um, it's a bear. It's the lower line for that year. And, uh, so I, I, I put my time in getting dialed in with my bow. I, um, have decided I'm going to try public land cause we have, we do have some public land here. Um, I wouldn't want to go out there during the actual gun season because that's when they start running the dogs, but during archery season, they, they don't do it. Uh, so 2018, um, beginning of the deer season, it's still hot. It's muggy. There's mosquitoes everywhere. I don't yet own a thermocell. Uh, that's going to happen before this next season. Uh, so I go out there. I end up scaring up one buck and didn't see anything else. I'm like, okay, well, now I know where he's at. I, I, he was, it was about 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Uh, so it's going to be a general area for him, I, I assume. Um, so I'm going to start hunting around here. I found a little bit of bed. I found a little bit of sign. And I heard where he ran, too. So I've planned on going out to um, the public lands and do some stuff. And two weeks later is when we got hit with Hurricane Florence. Mm. Um, the public land that I hunt was about 15, 20 miles from the ocean when um, Hurricane Florence came in and sat right off the coast for four days. Uh, my wife was pregnant at the time, so we decided to evacuate and went to West Virginia um, and spent three weeks up there because we couldn't make it home. And the the public land down here was flooded. So I was relegated back to my own homelands. Um, and so I started looking at more ways that I could hunt easier than, than trying to hunt out of this 16-foot ladder stand with a bow because I felt like I was completely exposed. And I would see a few deer here and there, but they would always bust me. So I started looking into saddle hunting. And uh, I end up getting a rock climbing harness and I made my own sit drag, uh, combination to, to get up into a tree. And I had purchased a couple of climbing sticks right before the hurricane came that I could use those to get enough height to tie off and cut down some trees around the house before the hurricane hit the ones that were too close to hit the house. If the hurricane were to blow them over. Uh, so I had some climbing sticks. I had made my own sit drag and a rock climbing harness to get up and start saddle hunting. And, uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving, I finally was able to make it happen with my bow for the first time. Oh, wow. Um, I'd spent a couple of, a couple of days up at the end of work or on a weekend morning, 
and was seeing where there was a little group of does were moving through and I had to kind of dial in. I, I Saddle hunting is excellent for that. If you're, you know, 30 yards off the wrong direction, the, the next day you can move easily and be right where you need to be. Hmm. So, um, it was the weekend after Thanksgiving and, uh, I had finally dialed into where I needed to be. And just before dark, this pretty doe comes in. She's with another group of five or six does and she had broken off into this one small clearing that I had a, a perfect shot at. And, uh, again, the saddle hunting is excellent for this because she was directly across the other side of the tree. So I had to swing around the tree about 20 degrees to my left in order to get the shot just right. And I was able to, to finally, um, get my bow into the deer hunting action as well. <laughs> um, I got a double lung penetration on her and, um, how it, far was she? She was right at about 30 yards. I don't okay. have a range finder yet, but in practicing with my bow, um, I had counted off steps and, and, and okay. made sure that I understood, you know, where distances were, um, and then found trees to mark those distances or landmarks to mark those distances from the tree that I'm in. Yeah. Um, and it was, I had heard it before and I had known that, um, Bow hunting is much different in the actual kill and the expiring of the animal than a gun is because there's much less shock involved uh, to the animal's body. And so it's a it's a hemorrhage kill as opposed to, uh, you know, just knocking them down. Yeah. Um, so it was again, I was I was in the tree. This one, this was the first deer that I had taken where I watched it come to me. I had to prepare for the shot. I had to get my mind right. I had to, to calm myself down. And the entire time I was watching her as she was moving closer to where she needed to be, I was telling myself, you know, calm down. You got a job to do. You can, you can freak out later. Calm down. You just do, do what you know you have to do. And then later on, you can get excited. Uh, but after I had taken the shot, everything lined up perfectly. And, and I heard where she, she uh, ran through the woods. She crashed. She laid down. But then I had to listen to her also expire from the tree because I knew that if I climbed down, then I was going to bump her and then I was going to have to track her and it was going to, it was going to make her live longer through the, through the pain of the wound. Uh, and she was on the other side of some, some bushes. So I wasn't able to get a second shot to help end it sooner. So it took about five solid minutes for her to finally pass. Um, and, and she was thrashing and that, there was absolutely no excitement on that when I walked up on her either. It took me a little while longer to get her um, because I did. I backed out slowly and, and as silently as I could to try to keep from bumping her just to make sure that she had expired before I got there. Um, but it was very pensive, again, when I was able to walk up and put my hands on her. Um, uh, I kind of... I kind of felt like I'd done something wrong because I didn't have the excitement that you see everybody else get. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm just a different type of different type of guy when it comes to that. But, you know, that's the side of hunting that we, you know, it's, it's tough to talk about, you know, and I, I appreciate you talking about that because so often what we see mostly is guys coming up and they're all pumped and they're excited. And if a deer is shot and it's say you hit it high, um, the first few deer I shot with a compound bow, I, I spined them, I hit them high and they dropped and I'd have to do a follow up shot or chase after them. 
and I was just aiming way too way too high on these deer. And then that, it's a rough it's a rough part of hunting. It's a reality that everybody kind of has to face at some point. Is that it's not always going to be a heart shot or a double lung where they're they're down in, in ten seconds. At some point, uh, you're probably going to make a shot that is less than stellar, or maybe it's still okay. They're they're a tough animal sometimes to kill. And so I think that is a challenge sometimes. It's just a part of hunting that maybe people aren't prepared for. And um, you got to kind of just, you know, it's, I don't know how to tell somebody to get over it other than there's, maybe you shouldn't get over it. You know, I, I don't think we ever want to see an animal uh, suffer longer than just a few seconds. We hope that it'll take, you know, to, to kill an animal. So, you know, that's it's good that you respect that because I think some guys, maybe, maybe they don't as much. Yeah, I think that, I I believe that had I started hunting at an early age, um, like like a, a lot of people have, um, that it may be a little different. But you know, being older, I was thirty five, I think, when I started hunting. Um, thirty six when I sh- shot my first deer, and had already experienced loss of family, um, multiple family members. Um, I, I think that definitely brought it into a more realistic realm mm-hmm. than than just you know go out there and shoot an animal to to have a dead animal. Yeah, and I think that's I think what we're saying is you you've got to feel the weight that you are taking an animal's life. Absolutely, you know? and I think that uh, respecting that life and making sure that you you, you honor that and whatever that means for a person. So I don't I can't judge a guy that's losing his mind in a tree. Um, can't lose a guy. Yeah, can't fault a guy that just gets so excited. You know, but um, I think there might be a limit. I've seen guys you know go maybe a little, in my opinion, across the line. Uh, you know, with the celebration thing and. Um, but I think it's, it's just a matter of respect, respect for, for creation, respect for what's given to us and respect for the life. That's, that's a key word I would say. Exactly. I I agree completely with that. Yeah. Well, great, Bobby. Well, that's a good story. I mean, so you've gotten two deer down in in what, five years hunting? Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty good odds. There's a lot of guys in their first five years that it's a challenge. It's, it's a learning process it, it really is and i mean it doesn't matter how many years you're into it you continue to learn and, and get better and better so so looking at this coming season is there any changes anything um you know here as we wrap this up anything that you're kind of looking forward to any plans still going back to public land how's it all going to play out in 2019 i have gotten a much better pack to carry on to public lands uh than the old pack that didn't even fit me anymore from from being camping and in, in, as a young man um uh, I got a hydration bladder uh, okay. because I discovered on public land that first time that water bottles are loud. And, <laughs> yes, uh, they are. Yep. Now that I am into saddle hunting, I am looking forward to going back to public land uh, with my bow because I know where the deer are out there. I feel like I do anyway. And uh, it's a much easier mobile setup that I can get up the tree and and not be sitting on the ground, sitting on a log, waiting for them to see me and run away. Yeah. And I know how to use the wind now. So that's good. Uh, It's, it's no secret to guys that have listened to this podcast at all that I, I definitely am a saddle hunter. I love it. Try not to talk about it all the time because this podcast isn't just saddle hunting. But one thing that you said earlier, I want you to explain is, um, for guys that are curious, not everybody would know what a sit drag is. So, and, and I'm not even sure what exactly is a sit drag whenever it comes to, you know, that term, whenever it comes to saddle hunting. It is a, a sit drag is a, um, purchasable thing, uh, that was originally created, I believe, um, for people just to sit at the base of a tree tethered to the tree. It is essentially a hammock for you to sit in. 
Okay. It's got a, a loop on each side, um, and it's like a swing. It's like a, a child swing out of cloth. Okay. Um, and for a DIY saddle hunter like myself, if you combine that with a, a rock climbing harness that only connects around your waist, um, then you can connect both of those. You just tie a bridge from loop to loop on the sit drag, um, and you connect both of those to your tether in case the sit drag is to fail because it's not designed to be used in the air. Um, then you have the rock climbing harness to, to catch you. Okay. So that sounds like a pretty safe setup then. You know, a lot of guys are afraid that you're going to fall out of a saddle, but that sound if you're using a rock harness, it's probably safer than using like a, a climber or something like that. I would think so. Uh, you know, even with a climber though, always wear your harness. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good advice. So, uh, yeah, so you guys can Google that one if you're interested in a sit drag or, uh, there's sit drag and then there's saddles and then there's all kinds of different variations. That's, that's kind of what I like about saddle hunting is there's a lot of different ways to customize it to what you want to do. So it's not the only way to hunt. It's just a a good way and uh, something to look into. So, well, Bobby, thanks so much for coming on and sharing those stories. I enjoyed hearing about the, the bass fishing and, um, your, your first two deer. And I would definitely wish you luck here in this upcoming season, man. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And and good luck to you as well. All right. Thanks, man. What a gentleman. I enjoyed sitting down with Bobby and uh, just hearing him tell some of those stories. And he did a good job uh, just kind of painting a picture. And I, I enjoy I enjoy just hearing people just share those kind of stories where you can just kind of relive it with them and be in the moment. And so <laughs> I'm picturing Bobby full sprint running. And, and, I mean, he said he got lucky. But I got to say, you know, if you run 125 yards and you're able to pull off a shot, you know, that's that takes some, that takes some skill to do that. So uh, grateful for him coming on the show. You know, I go back to what he talked about with – you know, respect, respect for animals. Um, you know, like we kind of talked about there, there's a part of hunting that is kind of the, I don't know if you want to say the ugly side or the challenging side. Um, you know, we try and hide it. We try not to, you know, whenever I show videos, I don't show videos of, of this side of hunting. One, I don't want PETA to try and sue me. Um, and two, <laughs> it's just not always the most pleasant part. Um, there's going to be a time whenever you don't make the best shot in the world. You wish that you could be perfect, but you, you slip up and you make some, some bad shots. That My very first doe that I ever shot with a compound bow, I hit her high. And I, I didn't know... She was at such an angle, I couldn't get a good second shot. So I had to climb down. I was in a climber. I climbed down as fast as I could. I remember coming upon her, and she just couldn't move, but she still was very, uh, you know, very active. And and I had to finish her off. And I just remember um, just feeling like a, like, like Bobby described, just a sense of, I won't say remorse. I knew that that was a part of hunting. I knew that that was a part of, like, farming and butchering and things. Um, you know, it doesn't always pan out. But after she did expire, I just remember getting getting up close to her and putting my hands on her, and I, and I thanked her, and I thanked God for allowing me to take her. Because um, it's not, we can get so wrapped up in the the trophy and so wrapped up in, in the excitement and the adrenaline, and that's I think that's God-given. I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating or being excited or just getting pumped. Um, you know, I, I think you got two trains of thought. You know, it's kind of like a guy scores a touchdown and you see these guys that celebrate and there's some people that love that, some people that hate that, some people are like, well, act like you've been there before. Um, or some people are like, man, I enjoy watching this guy be creative and, and just uh, enjoy himself, you know. And so same is true with deer hunting um, or any type of hunting. Uh, but I think we all need to just make sure that whatever we do, we, we do our best just uh, to respect the animals, uh, respect their lives, and respect the hunt. 
And, you know, it's one thing to talk about animals. It's another thing to talk about other human beings. Um, <laughs> in today's society, I think we've lost a little bit of a touch of, of how to just respect other people. Um, you know, I, this reminds me of a crazy story in First Samuel. If you get out your Bible, if you got one, uh, you can go to First Samuel and read this. If not, I'll just kind of summarize it. But First Samuel 24, there's this guy named David. You've probably heard the story of him, you know, taking down a giant. And a little bit later on, he becomes like a leader, and uh, he works for the king, Saul. Well, Saul becomes so jealous of David at a certain point that he wants to kill him. Saul goes out of his mind, basically, trying to kill David. And David has to run and escape and hide, and um, Saul comes after him. He brings a whole army just to go after one guy because he's so jealous of, of David. And um, there's one point where Saul actually, it talks about this in, in 1 Samuel 24, Saul goes into a cave that David is hiding in, and he goes in there to relieve himself. I bet you didn't know that was in the Bible, but he actually goes in there, and I, I have to think that he's, he's probably going number two because what David does is he slides up close to him and he cuts off a corner of his robe. And he kind of does it, you know, as a trick kind of thing. He could have killed Saul, but he, he won't kill him. And Saul goes out, and David, it actually says this, David felt remorse for cutting off his robe. The guys around him were like, kill him. Kill him right now, and let's get this thing over with. And David refused to do it. And he actually felt guilty for cutting the, the, the corner of his robe off because he said, you know what? This is the Lord's anointed. This is the guy that God picked to be king right now, and I will not take his life. And I, I, should, I shouldn't have cut off his robe. There's another time where David has another chance to go down. Saul continues. Even after that, Saul realizes what's happened, and he stops chasing David for a while, and then he comes after him again. And there's another chance where David could have completely just wiped. He sneaks into the camp. Nate, I think David was a ninja uh, <laughs> in retrospect. But he gets into the camp, and he could have killed Saul. In fact, one of his best advisors said, kill this guy, get it over with. And David refuses. Uh, for 20-some years, David is on the run from Saul. And it's not until after Saul is killed in battle that David is able to go in and become king. But you just uh, what I get from that is respect. Respecting people and loving people, uh, even people that you disagree with, even people that you can't stand, people that uh, test your patience. Um, the Bible's going to talk about learning how to respect those kind of people because uh, I think God shows us a great deal of respect, and we don't always give that back to him. So just some uh, things to think about. Think about your respect. I know we have bosses, and we have uh, maybe some people that you work with or family members, and it's hard, and it's hard to, to show respect to, to some folks. Um, but I think that's what we're supposed to do. So there you go. Some things to think about, chew on. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We'll go ahead and wrap it up with a little catchphrase. R-E-S-P... No, I'm sorry. Uh, shed the light. Shed the light. <laughs> Have a good one, guys. <laughs>